0: SECTION 13 OF TO THE LAST MAN BY ZANE GRAY THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN CHAPTER SEVEN PART ONE During June, Jean Isabel did not ride far away from Grass Valley. Another attempt had been made upon Gaston Isbel's life. Another cowardly shot had been fired from ambush, this time from a pine thicket bordering the trail that led to Blaisdell's ranch. Blaisdell heard this shot so near his home it was fired. No trace of the hidden foe could be found. The ground all around the vicinity bore a carpet of pine needles, which showed no trace of footprints. The supposition was that this cowardly attempt had been perpetrated, or certainly instigated, by the Jorths, but there was no proof and Gaston Isbel had other enemies in the Tonto Basin beside the sheep clan. The old man raged like a lion about this sneaking attack on him, and his friend Blaisdell urged an immediate gathering of their kin and friends. "'Let's quit ranching till this trouble's settled,' he declared. "'Let's arm and ride the trails and meet these men halfway. It won't help our side any to wait till you're shot in the back.' More than one of Isbel's supporters offered the same advice. No, we'll wait till we know for sure, was the stubborn cattleman's reply to all these promptings. No, well, hell, didn't Jean find that black horse up at Jorth's ranch, demanded Blaisdell. What more do we want? John couldn't swear Jorth stole the black. Well, by thunder, I can swear to it, growled Blaisdell, and we're losing cattle all the time. Who's stealing em?' "'We've always lost cattle ever since we started ranching here.' "'Gas, I reckon you want Jorth to start this fight in the open.' "'It'll start soon enough,' was Isbel's gloomy reply. Jean had not failed altogether in his tracking of lost or stolen cattle. Circumstances had been against him, and there was something baffling about this rustlin'. The summer's storm set in early. And it had been his luck to have heavy rains wash out fresh tracks that he might have followed. The range was large, and cattle were everywhere. Sometimes a loss was not discovered for weeks. Gaston Isbel's sons were now the only men left to ride the range. Two of his riders had quit because of the threatened war, and Isbel had let another go. So Jean did not often learn that cattle had been stolen until their tracks were old. Added to that was the fact that this grass valley country was covered with horse tracks and cattle tracks. The rustlers, whoever they were, had long been at the game, and now that there was reason for them to show their cunning, they did. Early in July the hot weather came. Down on the red ridges of the Tonto it was hot desert. The nights were cool, the early mornings were pleasant. But the day was something to endure. When the white cumulus clouds rolled up out of the southwest, growing larger and thicker and darker, here and there coalescing into a black thundercloud, Jean welcomed them. He liked to see the gray streamers of rain hanging down from a canopy of black, and the roar of rain on the trees as it approached, like a trampling army, was always welcome. The grassy flats, the red ridges, the rocky slopes, the thickets of manzanita and scrub oak and cactus were dusty, glaring, throat parching places under the hot summer sun. Jean longed for the cool heights of the rim, the shady pines, the dark sweet verdure under the silver spruces, the tinkle and murmur of the clear rills. He often had another longing, too, which he bitterly stifled. Jean's ally, the keen-nosed shepherd dog, had disappeared one day and had never returned among men at the ranch there was a difference of opinion as to what had happened to shep the old rancher thought he had been poisoned or shot bill and guy isbel believed he had been stolen by sheep herders who were always stealing dogs and jean inclined to the conviction that shep had gone off with the timber wolves the fact was that shep did not return and jean missed him one morning at dawn jean heard the cattle bellowing and trampling out in the valley and upon hurrying to the vantage point he was amazed to see upward of five hundred steers chasing a lone wolf jean's father had seen such a spectacle as this but it was a new one for jean the wolf was a big gray and black fellow rangy and powerful and until he got the steers all behind him he was rather hard put to it TO KEEP OUT OF THEIR WAY, PROBABLY HAD DOGGED a HERD, TRYING TO SNEAK IN AND PULL DOWN A YEARLING, AND FINALLY THE STEERS HAD CHARGED HIM. JEAN KEPT ALONG THE EDGE OF THE VALLEY IN THE HOPE THEY WOULD CHASE HIM WITHIN RIFLE RANGE, BUT THE wary WOLF SAW JEAN AND sheered OFF, GRADUALLY DRAWING AWAY FROM HIS PURSUERS. JEAN RETURNED TO THE HOUSE FOR HIS BREAKFAST AND THEN SET OFF ACROSS THE VALLEY. His father owned one small flock of sheep that had not yet been driven up on the rim, where all the sheep in the country were run during the hot, dry summer down on the Tonto. Young Everts and the Mexican boy named Bernardino had charge of this flock. The regular Mexican herder, a man of experience, had given up his job, and these boys were not equal to the task of risking the sheep up in the enemy's stronghold. This flock was known to be grazing in a side draw well up from Grass Valley, where the brush afforded some protection from the sun and there was good water and a little feed. Before Jean reached his destination he heard a shot. It was not a rifle shot, which fact caused Jean a little concern. Everts and Bernardino had rifles, but to his knowledge, no small arms. Jean rode up on one of the black-brushed conical hills that rose on the south side of Grass Valley, and from there he took a sharp survey of the country. At first he made out only cattle and bare meadow land and the low encircling ridges and hills. But presently, up toward the head of the valley, he descried a bunch of horsemen riding toward the village. He could not tell their number. That dark-moving mass seemed to Jean to be instinct with life mystery menace who were they it was too far for him to recognize horses let alone riders they were moving fast too jean watched them out of sight then turned his horse downhill again and rode on his quest a number of horsemen like that was a very unusual sight around grass valley at any time what did it portend now jean experienced a little shock of uneasy dread that was a new sensation for him brooding over this he proceeded on his way at length to turn into the draw where the camp of the sheepherders was located upon coming in sight of it he heard a hoarse shout young everts appeared running frantically out of the brush jean urged his horse into a run and soon covered the distance between them Everts appeared beside himself with terror. Boy, what's the matter? queried John as he dismounted, rifle in hand, peering quickly from Everett's white face to the camp and all around. Bernardino, Bernardino gasped the boy, wringing his hands and pointing. Jean ran the few remaining rods to the sheep camp. He saw the little teepee a burned out fire, a half finished meal, and the Mexican lad lying prone on the ground, dead, with a bullet hole in his ghastly face. Near him lay an old six-shooter. "'Whose gun is that?' demanded Jean as he picked it up. "'Bernardinos,' replied Everts huskily. He "'He just got it the other day.' "'Did he shoot himself accidentally?' "'Oh, no, no. He didn't do it at all.' "'Who did, then?' "'The men. They rode up. A gang, they did it, panted Everts. Did you know who they were? No, I couldn't tell. I saw them coming, and I was scared. Bernardino had gone for water. I run and hid in the brush. I wanted to yell, but they come too close. Then I heard them talking. Bernardino come back. They appeared friendly-like. That made me rise up to look, and I couldn't see good. I heard one of them ask Bernardino to let him see his gun, and Bernardino handed it over. He looked at the gun and haw-hawed and flipped it up in the air, and when it fell back in his hand, it-it went off bang, and Bernardino dropped. I hid down close, I was scared stiff. I heard them talk more, but not what they said. Then they rode away, and I hid there till I seen you comin. "'Have you got a horse?' queried Jean sharply. "'No, but I can ride one of Bernardino's burros. "'Get one. Hurry over to Blaisdell. Tell him to send word to Blue and Gordon and Fredericks to ride like the devil to my father's ranch. Hurry now.' Young Everts ran off without reply. Jean stood looking down at the limp and pathetic figure of the Mexican boy. "'By heaven!' he exclaimed grimly. "'The jorth Isbel wars on!' Deliberate, cold-blooded murder. I'll gamble Daggs did this job. He's been given the leadership. He started it. Bernardino, greaser or not, you were a faithful lad, and you won't go long unavenged. Jean had no time to spare. Tearing a tarpaulin out of the tepee, he covered the lad with it, and then ran for his horse. Mounting, he galloped down the draw, over the little red ridges, out into the valley, where he put his horse to a run. Action changed the sickening horror that sight of Bernardino had engendered. Jean even felt a strange, grim relief. The long, dragging days of waiting were over. Jorth's gang had taken the initiative, blood had begun to flow, and it would continue to flow now till the last man of one faction stood over the dead body of the last man of the other. WOULD IT BE A JORTH OR AN ISBEL? MY INSTINCT WAS RIGHT, HE MUTTERED ALOUD. THAT BUNCH OF HORSES GAVE ME A QUEER FEELING. JEAN GAZED ALL AROUND, THE GRASSY, CATTLE-DOTTED VALLEY HE WAS CROSSING SO SWIFTLY AND TOWARD THE VILLAGE, BUT HE DID NOT SEE ANY SIGN OF THE DARK GROUP OF RIDERS. THEY HAD GONE ON TO Greaves's STORE THERE, NO DOUBT, TO DRINK AND TO ADD MORE ENEMIES OF THE ISBELS TO THEIR GANG. Suddenly, across Jean's mind, flashed the thought of Ellen Jorth. What'll become of her? What'll become of all the women? My sister, the little ones. No one was in sight around the ranch. Never had it appeared more peaceful and pastoral to Jean. The grazing cattle and horses in the foreground, the haystack half-eaten away, the cows in the fence pasture, the column of blue smoke lazily ascending, the crackle of hens, the solid, well-built cabins. All these seemed to repudiate Jean's haste and his darkness of mind. This place was his father's farm. There was not a cloud in the blue summer sky. As Jean galloped up the lane, someone saw him from the front door, and then Bill and Guy and their gray-headed father came out upon the porch. Jean saw how he waved the woman folk back and then strode out into the lane. Bill and Guy reached his side as Jean pulled his heaving horse to a halt. They all looked at Jean swiftly and intently with a little hard, fiery gleam strangely identical in the eyes of each. Probably before a word was spoken they knew what to expect. Well, you sure was in a hurry, remarked the father. "'What the hell's up?' queried Bill grimly. Guy Isabel remained silent, and it was he who turned slightly pale. Jean leaped off his horse. Bernardino's just been killed, murdered with his own gun. Gaston Isabel seemed to exhale a long, damned, bursting breath that let his chest sag. A terrible, deadly glint, pale and cold as sunlight on ice, grew slowly to dominate his clear eyes. "Uh "'Uh-huh,' ejaculated Belle Isabel hoarsely. None of the three men asked who had done the killing. They were silent a moment, motionless, locked in the secret seclusion of their own minds. Then they listened with absorption to John's brief story. "'Well, that lets us in,' said his father. "'I wish we had more time. Reckon I'd done better to listen to you boys.' "'and have my men close at hand. "'Jacobs happened to ride over. "'That makes five of us beside the women.' "'Aw, Dad, you don't reckon they'll round us up here?' asked Guy Isbel. "'Boys, I always feared they might,' replied the old man. "'But I never really believed they'd have the nerve. "'Sure, I ought to have figured Dag's better. "'This here secret business of shooting at us from ambush "'looked about Jorth's size to me.' "'but I reckon now we'll have to fight without our friends.' "'Let them come,' said Jean. "'I sent for Blaisdell, Blue, Gordon, and Fredericks. "'Maybe they'll get here in time. "'But if they don't, it needn't worry us much. "'We can hold out here longer than Jorth's gang can hang around. "'We'll want plenty of water, wood, and meat in the house.' "'Well, I'll see to that,' rejoined his father. Jean, you go out close by.' Where you can see all around and keep watch. Who's going to tell the women? asked Guy Isbel. The silence that momentarily ensued was an eloquent testimony to the hardest and saddest aspect of this strife between men, the inevitableness of it in no wise detracted from its sheer uselessness. Men from time immemorial had hated and killed one another, always to the misery. And degradation of their women. Old Gaston Isbel showed this tragic realization in his lined face. "'Well, boys, I'll tell the women,' he said. Sure you needn't worry none about them. They'll be game.' Jean rode away to an open knoll a short distance from the house, and here he stationed himself to watch all points. The cedared ridge back of the ranch was the one approach by which Jorth's gang might come close without being detected. But even so, Jean could see them and ride to the house in time to prevent a surprise. The moments dragged by, and at the end of an hour, Jean was in hopes that Blaisdell would soon come. These hopes were well-founded. Presently, he heard a clatter of hoofs on hard ground to the south, and upon wheeling to look, he saw the friendly neighbor Coming fast along the road, riding a big white horse, Blaisdell carried a rifle in his hand, and the sight of him gave Jean a glow of warmth. He was one of the Texans who would stand by the Isbels to the last man. Jean watched him ride to the house, watched the meeting between him and his lifelong friend. There floated out to Jean's old Blaisdell's roar of rage. Then out on the green of Grass Valley. Where a long, swelling plain swept away toward the village, there appeared a moving, dark patch. A bunch of horses. Jean's body gave a slight start. The shock of sudden propulsion of blood through all his veins. Those horses bore riders. They were coming straight down the open valley, on the wagon road to Isbel's ranch. No subterfuge. No secrecy nor sneaking in that advance. A hot thrill ran over Jean. "'By heaven, they mean business,' he muttered. Up to the last moment, he had unconsciously hoped Jorth's gang would not come boldly like that. The verifications of all a Texan's inherited instincts left no doubts, no hopes, no illusions, only a grim certainty that this was not conjecture nor probability, but fact. For a moment longer, JEAN WATCHED THE SLOWLY MOVING DARK PATCH OF HORSEMEN AGAINST THE GREEN BACKGROUND. THEN HE HURRIED BACK TO THE RANCH. HIS FATHER SAW HIM COMING. HE strode OUT AS BEFORE. ''DAD, JORTH IS COMING,'' SAID JEAN HUSKILY. HOW HE HATED TO BE FORCED TO TELL HIS FATHER THAT. THE BOYISH LOVE OF OLD HAD FLASHED UP. WHERE, DEMANDED THE OLD MAN, HIS EAGLE GAZE SWEEPING THE HORIZON. Down the road from Grass Valley. You can't see from here. Well, come in and let's get ready. Isbel's house had not been constructed with the idea of repelling an attack from a band of Apaches. The long living room of the main cabin was the one selected for defense and protection. This room had two windows and a door facing the lane and a door at each end, one of which opened into the kitchen and the other into an adjoining room and later built cabin. The logs of this main cabin were of large size and the doors and window coverings were heavy, affording safer protection from bullets than the other cabins. When Jean went in, he seemed to see a host of white faces lifted to him. His sister Anne, his two sisters-in-law, the children, all mutely watched him with eyes that would haunt him. "'Well, Blaisdell, John says Jorth and his precious gang of wrestlers are on the way here,' announced the rancher. "'Damn me if it's not a bad day for Lee Jorth,' declared Blaisdell. "'Clear off that table,' ordered Isbel, "'and fetch out all the guns and shells we've got.' Once laid upon the table, these presented a formidable arsenal, which consisted of three new 44 Winchesters that John had brought with him from the coast, the enormous buffalo, or so-called needle gun, that Gaston Isbel had used for years, a Henry rifle which Blaisdell had brought, and a half a dozen six-shooters. Piles and packages of ammunition littered the table. Sort out these here shells, said Isbel. Everybody wants to get hold of his own. Jacobs, the neighbor who was present, was a thick-set bearded man rather jovial among those lean jawed texans he carried a 44 rifle of an old pattern well boys if i'd known we was in for some fun i'd have fetched more shells only got one magazine full maybe them new 44s will fit my gun it was discovered that the ammunition john had brought in quantity fitted jacob's rifle a fact which afforded "'peculiar satisfaction to all the men present.' "'Well, sure we're lucky,' declared Gaston Isbel. "'The women sat apart in the corner toward the kitchen, "'and there seemed to be a strange fascination for them "'in the talk and action of the men. "'The wife of Jacobs was a little woman, "'with homely face and very bright eyes. "'Jean thought she would be a help in the household "'during the next doubtful hours.' Every moment, Jean would go to the window and peer out down the road. His companions evidently relied upon him, for no one else looked out. Now that the suspense of days and weeks was over, these Texans faced the issue with talk and act not noticeably different from those of ordinary moments. At last, Jean espied the dark mass of horsemen out in the valley road they were close together walking their mounts and evidently in an earnest conversation after several ineffectual attempts jean counted eleven horses every one of which he was sure bore a rider dad look out called jean gaston isbel strode to the door and stood looking without a word the other men crowded to the windows blaisdell cursed under his breath jacob said By golly, come to pay us a call. The women sat motionless with dark, strained eyes. The children ceased their play and looked fearfully to their mother. When just out of rifle shot of the cabin, the band of horsemen halted and lined up in a half circle, all facing the ranch. They were close enough for Jean to see their gestures, but he could not recognize any of their faces. It struck him singularly, that none of them wore a mask. "'Jean, do you know any of them?' asked his father. "'No, not yet. They're too far off.' "'Dad, I'll get your old telescope,' said Guy Isabel, and he ran out toward the adjoining cabin. Blaisdell shook his big, hoary head and rumbled out of his bull-like neck, "'Well, now you're here, you sheep fellows. What are you going to do about it?' Guy Isabel returned, with a yard-long telescope, which he passed to his father. The old man took it with shaking hands and leveled it. Suddenly it was as if he had been transfixed. Then he lowered the glass, shaking violently, and his face grew gray with an exceedingly bitter wrath. Jorth, he swore harshly. Jean had only to look at his father to know that recognition had been like a mortal shock it passed again the rancher leveled the glass well blaisdell there's our old texas friend daggs he drawled dryly and greaves our honest storekeeper of grass valley and there's stonewall jackson jorth and tad jorth with the same old red nose and say damned if one of the gang isn't queen as bad a gunfighter as texas ever bred "'Sure, I thought he'd been killed in the Big Bend country. "'So I heard. "'And there's Craig, another respectable sheepman of Grass Valley. "'Ha, ha. "'And, well, I don't recognize any more of them.' "'Jean forthwith took the glass "'and moved it slowly across the faces of that group of horsemen. "'Sim Bruce,' he said instantly. "'I see Coulter. "'And, yes, Greaves is there.' I've seen the man next to him, face like a ham.' "'Sure that is Craig,' interrupted his father. Jean knew the dark face of Lee Jorth by the resemblance it bore to Ellen's, and the recognition brought a twinge. He thought, too, that he could tell the other Jorths. He asked his father to describe Dags and then Queen. It was not likely that Jean would fail to know these several men in the future. Then Blaisdell asked for the telescope. And, when he got through looking and cursing, he passed it on to the others, who, one by one, took a long look until finally it came back to the old rancher. Well, Daggs is waving his hands here and there, like a general about to send out scouts. (laughs) And appears to me he's not overlooking our horses. Well, that's natural for a rustler. He'd have to steal a horse or a steer before going into a fight or to dinner. "'or to a funeral.' "'It'll be his funeral if he goes foolin' around with them horses,' declared Guy Isabel, peering anxiously out of the door. "'Well, son, sure it'll be somebody's funeral,' replied his father. "'Jean paid but little heed to the conversation. "'With sharp eyes fixed upon the horsemen, "'he tried to grasp at their intention. "'Dags pointed to the horses in the pasture lot, that lay between him and the house. These animals were the best on the range, and belonged mostly to Guy Isbel, who was the horse fancier and trader of the family. His horses were his passion. ''Looks like they'd do some horse-dealing,'' said Jean. ''Lend me that glass,'' demanded Guy forcefully. He surveyed the band of men for a long moment, then he handed the glass back to Jean. "'I'm going out there after my horses,' he declared. "'No!' exclaimed his father. "'That gang come to steal and not to fight. Can't you see that? If they meant to fight, they'd do it. They're out there arguing about my horses.' Guy picked up his rifle. He looked sullenly determined, and the gleam in his eye was one of fearlessness. "'Son, I know Dag,' said his father. "'And I know Jorth. They've come to kill us.' It be sure death for you to go out there. I'm going anyhow. They can't steal my horses out from under my eyes, and they ain't in range. Well, guy, you ain't going alone, spoke up Jacobs cheerily as he came forward. End of Chapter 7, Part 1